What do we do when we find ourselves up against the many leadership challenges that exist within our chosen careers? We all have goals and achievements that we would like to accomplish. Unfortunately, these desires don't come equipped with insight or awareness on how to bring these accomplishments to light. In essence, this is why the Dream Octane Niche Finder Framework was formed. Our founder, Clifton C. Manning, spent the first 17 of his 20-year career in healthcare working with physicians and healthcare leaders to achieve patient-centric goals while possessing only an associate's degree in applied science. At times, these challenges were daunting, and he felt unqualified to achieve the success he wanted. However, he focused on becoming intentional in reading every leadership book that he could find, as well as attending frequent seminars in areas where he saw opportunities to improve. Over time, as he applied insights gained from these various sources, he was able to successfully and efficiently cross the hurdles he found himself up against. Eventually, varying degrees of success within his sphere of leadership influence became more evident. The Niche Finder podcast is intended to bring similar insight to you, the listener, from those who have achieved some level of noteworthy success in their chosen career. Our hope is that the challenges they have overcome in the past will provide insight for your current leadership struggles and unlock the dream of achieving success in your own career. We believe that if innovative change is an engine, your unique dreams and abilities could be its fuel. And now I present to you the host of the Niche Finder podcast, Clifton C. Manning. I want to welcome you to this version of the Niche Finder podcast. Today, we are privileged to have Brendan Kumasami. He basically is a communication coach. He uses YouTube as his medium of choice for getting high high ticket clients. I mean, he has executives that he's been coaching now for over, over seven years. And it was something that started out as a hobby. And somehow he transitioned it into becoming what he does full time. And this is a 26 year old entrepreneur doing this to everybody. So we got the young generation that's that's doing it big as well. So without further ado, I want to introduce the Niche Finder podcast to Brendan Kumarsami. Hey, it's good to be here, Cliff. Thanks for having me. All right, man. So let's just get right to it. I'm chomping at the bit wanting to know how does someone turn a hobby into an actual career? So tell me, why would the audience have an interest in this niche of yours? I mean, it started more as a joke, to be honest. It wasn't even a hobby. I would say for me, you know, how it started, Cliff, was when I was in college. I went to business school. And my goal was to never be a communication coach, an entrepreneur, a YouTuber. You know, I came from a South Asian background, which means get a great job, get a great education, get a great pay, which is exactly what I did. I was really good at math. So I studied in what most communication coaches would never touch, which is an accounting degree. I graduated in a bachelor's in accounting. Mm. So I started doing these, the, these classes and I learned about these things called case competitions, Cliff. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while other guys my age were playing rugby or soccer or basketball, I wasn't one of those guys. So I did presentations competitively, and that's how I learned how to speak. But then as I got older, I started coaching a lot of the students in college on how to communicate so they'd win their competitions. And that's what ultimately led to the idea for the YouTube channel because I felt that everything that I was sharing with them wasn't available for free. Mm. Okay, so so let's let's tease that out a little bit. So case competitions. You're now a what, twenty two year old, twenty one year old? How old were you at the time when you started this? Nineteen. So you're a nineteen year old, you find this thing out there called case competitions, and it's all about 
public speaking or is it about how you put together the presentation or both? It's both and. So why do case competitions exist? What's the point of this? So let's say, for example, me and you are on the same team, Cliff, and Nike comes up to us and says, hey, guys, I'm thinking about opening a store, but I only have the budget for one. Should I open it in Salt Lake City in Utah or should I open it in Berlin in Germany and why? So this is an example of a business case. Business comes in, gives you a problem, and then us, Cliff, we work together as a team to come up with slides, a solution, numbers, a rationale as to which store to open. We do the whole process in three hours with no internet. And at the end of the three hours, we have to pitch our solution back to the actual executives of Nike. Mm. And the reason why, which prompts the follow-up question, well, why would anyone do that? Brendan, like, how does that make any sense? The reason is because case competitions, Cliff, are like a drafting season, but for business jobs, like in sports. So if you want to get into the NBA, you do a draft, coaches come and find you, they scout talent, and then you get drafted into the league. This is the same thing, but in the business world, where all of these executives actually spend money to sponsor these companies and these competitions because the recruitment tool for these students. Mm. So this is primarily for students, yes? That's correct, in business school specifically. That's why most people don't know what a case competition mm. is. I like that. I like it. So now, tell me about tell me about you. Now that you have gotten to this extraordinary level of success that you find yourself at right now, tell us about your beginning and, and what type of internal struggles did you find yourself up against? For sure. I mean, at the beginning, if you if you re- rewind the tape all the way back from the start, you know, I was born and raised in a city called Montreal in Canada. And for those who don't know, Montreal is a city where you need to know how to speak French. And it's a language I didn't know. So my whole life, not only did I struggle with communication, I had to present in a language I didn't even know, Cliff. And that was my life growing up as a kid. I also have a broken left arm. And the reason is because of a surgery I had when I was younger. So I had a lot of social anxiety when I was interacting with different kids and just talking to them in general because I had a big cast and I was walking around like mm. this. So that's another challenge. And then the third one is I grew up in a, in a dysfunctional family. My dad was an alcoholic, so it was really tough growing up as a kid as well. And they were both factory workers, both my parents. But despite those adversities, it definitely made it out on top, luckily for me. Wow, wow. So tell me about what type of external struggles did you find yourself up against? external struggles I I mean uh, let me try and categorize it first so external struggles I would say I mean circumstance like one big one is I didn't have a lot of money the second one is I didn't have a lot of network. So when I was 19, I wanted to work for one of the big for accounting firms, PricewaterhouseCoopers or CNKP or Deloitte. But I didn't really have the network. I didn't know anyone there. Whereas a lot of my friends, not all of them, but a good number of them, they knew they have family members in those companies. So it's easy for them to get in. So I just had to put more effort. I started cold emailing these executives to meet them in person. I would build relationships with them so that I would ultimately get the opportunities that I'm looking for. And that's really what happened with with that. So the second one is I didn't really have that much network, and and that those were probably the two. Th- and the third one is you know when I started in communication, I was definitely one of the youngest coaches in the industry at the time. I don't think I'm the youngest anymore, but at least when I started, I definitely was. So I had a lot of imposter syndrome around that too that I overcame. Mm. 
Well, I can tell you that question right there and your response is about 90% of the people who are interviews who, and these again, are, these are experts in their field. They've been highly successful. Imposter syndrome seems to be the monkey on everybody's back. <laughs> Young and old. <laughs> so I appreciate you being transparent about that. Um, what transformation did you experience in, in this process of uncovering your niche? I would say the biggest transformation for me is the idea that time is more valuable than money. So what do I mean by this? So when I was younger, I always believed money was the most important thing in the world. And the reason is because I didn't have any of it. So my focus was just how do I get a job that makes the most amount of money that makes me successful? And I actually don't think that's a bad strategy. I think that makes sense because a lot of us don't have money. But the only thing I would challenge on that logic is when you start making money, you realize if you get if you get the opportunity to reflect that time is actually vastly more valuable than money because you cannot buy your time back. You could only live your 20s one time in one moment of history. So what transformed for me when I found my niche and I was able to monetize it was a much bigger question that had nothing to do with money, which is, how do I actually want to spend my time for the rest of my life? Do I want to be a big executive at this company or do I actually want to try this chance and change the world in a massive way through communication? And I chose option number two. Mm. Love it. What mentors did you have along the way? I'm really lucky in life that I know a lot of my mentors, like my business partner, Vamsi, he's 20 years older than me, and he's the one who guided me to turn Master Talk and my expertise into a very successful business. And it was really challenging at the time because I didn't really know how to do that. I had I knew how to coach people, I knew how to help people, but I didn't know how to sell product. I didn't know how to do sales. I didn't know how to do marketing. And that's what Vomps really helped me with, and I'm super grateful for him and his leadership. And then the other mentors are obviously my mother, who's been a big impact on me to be more generous, and of course the people that I get to meet in my day-to-day friendships. And then the heroes, heroes, you know, Seth Godin says, mentors are people you have access to, heroes are people that you learn from and never get to talk to. So there's people like Seth Godin, Lewis Howes, Brendan Bouchard that I really look up to as well. Love it, man. Um, tell me, at the start of your journey, and, and where you find yourself right now, do you think that you achieved the goals that you set out to achieve? Do I think I've achieved the goals that I've set out to achieve? I would say, Cliff, that where my life ended up relative to where I started is a massive win. Mm. Right? In the sense that if you had told me at 19 years old that not only was I going to get the coveted job at IBM, get the job at the big four accounting firm, but then go on to quit it to start a business and cut 70% of my salary, I would have, I would have thought you had a mental mm-hmm. illness. I'd be like, come on, like, that makes absolutely no sense. Right. Yet, you know, that's exactly what happened. And obviously, I, I, I do well financially these days. But I think the point I want to drive is my life is, is a win in itself. Like, I never thought, it's crazy. I'm like semi-retired at 25. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely insane. Like, I spend every minute and every meeting that I have, I look forward to. And that's a gift that a lot of people haven't bought themselves in life because they can't afford it. That's okay. But the other piece is, have I achieved everything I want to achieve? Definitely not. I have a long way to go. I'm still young. I have a lot more to learn. And, you know, my goal is to be the next Dale Carnegie. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely clearly a gap between between me and him. So, so I have a lot more work to do and a lot more lessons to learn for sure. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, you know, the thing about it, it's interesting that you bring up Dale Carnegie's um, because I, I remember reading in, in one of his books, I believe it was the, the book on public speaking, ironically enough. And he was talking about in his book, he had two horses every day. You know, the train would go by where these horses are. And he noticed that the horse that came by infrequently, you know, the handler would have a difficult time like kind of restraining the horse because it was fearful of this big thing, this big metal thing flying by them. But then there was another horse right down the road. And as he, as he put it, this this horse didn't even flinch as the train would go by. And what he said was, is the reason that the horse, the second horse never flinched is because it was there every day. And what he likened that to was overcoming speaker anxiety when you're in front of crowds. He said that if you want to get over the fear of public speaking, you've got to do it as frequently as possible. And then he said, you become the second horse. <laughs> you become the second horse. And so you aspiring to be Dale Carnegie is actually helping you as you help other people to become that second horse. And so I appreciate you giving voice to that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been complimenting my career, but not in that way, man. So I really, I really appreciate it. <laughs> become the second horse, sir. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I could ask you more about the start of your journey. But I think if there was so well, your, your response was so concise and so well encapsulates the moments that I feel that you've, you've gone through. Now, what I want to get to is what I consider to be your niche. And niche falls into five categories to me. It's what's your passions, whether you do that feels purposeful, the patterns that you have, or what you do naturally well, your proficiencies is what you've learned to do well over time, and then problem solving, which is also problem finding as well. So if we go back up to the top, what are your passions? What do you do? that you feel like when you do it, it ignites you? I mean, for me, it's definitely coaching, mm -hmm. right? Coaching people, teaching people. The challenge I had when finding my niche was to figure out what to teach and coach people on, which we can get into later in the show. But that's really what, what drives me, what excites me is helping people grow. And that's what brings me the most amount of joy. Mm. What do you do that feels purposeful? What do you do that when you do it, you feel like I was made for this moment? I would say for me, doing something purposeful has different layers to it. But I would say the highest level, which I feel I've gotten to, is where you feel you're doing work that only you can do for humanity. Mm. So for me, I really don't think there's somebody else out there who's trying to create free YouTube videos for the seven-year-old girl who can't afford a communication coach. That's my, that's my level. That's my goal. That's my dream. I love my coaching clients. I love my executives. But there's a reason I have a coaching business. It's because it helps me get better, sharper as a facilitator. But the money that they give me allows me to actually make the high-quality free content that I do these days. Mm. Patterns. What if you, what do you do naturally well? I would say for me, what I'm naturally talented at is once again, you know, coaching, teaching people. I'm really good at framing complex ideas in a simple way. I'm great at showing up with energy mm. and listening to other people and being empathetic to, to how other people live their lives. Mm. Proficiencies. What have you learned to do well over time? I would say what I've learned to do well over time is once again coaching, teaching. <laughs> really, really, really good at that. I, I, I'm very self-aware. Like I know what I'm good at, and I know I'm not. Like don't don't throw a basketball down my way. I don't know what to do with it. I'll, I'll just look at it and say, what do I do with this? But 
But the point is, is yes, I'm very proficient in that way. I would say I'm really talented on camera. I'm really good at sharing ideas, and I'm really good at communicating an idea in a way that that gets people motivated to take action on that idea. Not just they hear it, but they go, "Hmm, like I feel like Brendan's calling me out. Like I need to get this done." So that's another gift that I have.、Mm, excellent. Problem solving. What what do people come to you to solve in a unique way? Definitely communication, but but in some cases life as well. You know, sometimes people call me and they go, you know, I'm struggling with this in my life, and I just help them break it down. I'm not a life coach by any means, but it's something that、uh, that people come to me for as well. But it's mostly communication.、Mm. Yeah. So when it comes down to communication, just to kind of you know tease out what you're actually offering, is it is it the The art of speaking—is it the you know the packaging of how you put together a structured lesson, or is it something else? I would say for us in our business, the focus of communication is really on the technique side. Okay. So it's really around okay, you got the opportunity, you have a position that you're successful in, but what are you doing with that position? What are you doing with that opportunity? Are you hitting a home run on that opportunity, or are you missing the bat?、Mm. Are you missing the shot? And that's what a lot of people I work with do. They're already successful, but the problem is their speaking engagement sucks. Like they're saying a bunch of filler words, they're not smiling enough. Their vocal tone projection is off. Same thing with the podcast. They get the big podcast opportunity and they botch it because they don't practice it efficiently enough, so that they crush it. So that's what our expertise is. It's really to re- refine every nuance of communication, so that you speak really well on a podcast or on a stage or in your career.、Mm. I love it. So that's what I consider to be your niche, and and your niche is actually on full display, even as we're doing this podcast right now. I'm sure it should be. Jeez, <laughs> I mean, my goodness. I mean, if you did, if you weren't into coaching, based on your responses, I would probably ask you. You ever thought about coaching? <laughs> so I appreciate you, man.、Um, you know, now I want to get your secrets, right? So this is you speaking to me. But at the very start of this, and even as we go through this last segment on the Niche Finder podcast, I want you to speak to me as if you're speaking to your younger self, and delving into your your YouTube channel, Master Talk. Before you even did all of that, so I want you to speak to me. And the first question I have for you is, what secret would you tell your younger self that will help to accelerate them from where they are at that moment in time to where you are today? So this is going to be counterintuitive, Cliff. I don't think a lot of people agree with me on this, but I'll give you my take. That's worked really well in my career. I think trying to find a niche and a passion early in your life is very difficult to do, because let's say we take Gay Hendricks's thought leadership here, the zone of genius, which is essentially a triangle. Which answers the three questions: What are, what am I really, really passionate about, and that brings me joy? What does the world need me to do most? What serves other people and what gets me paid, but and that I'm really good at essentially, and that trifecta is really hard to optimize. So if I was 15, I would have looked at the sky and said, "Oh, you know, when I look at the triangle, I realize that I'm really talented at communication. People need it, and I can get paid good money, and I'm really good at it. So I could probably do this. So it's not as easy. So instead, what I recommend people to do, which is what I did in my life, I just didn't phrase it as well as what I was when I was my 12-year-old、mm. self. Is to always start with your zone of excellence. You don't necessarily have to be passionate about the first thing that you land, but as long as you're really, really good at it, you get paid to do it, and it serves other people, it serves a need, then you should focus on it. 
and that's easier to find because you can that's why I always recommend getting a job first because with a love about jobs I enjoyed my time as an employee when I was an employee is it's a guaranteed outcome hey if you know how to be an accountant I'll guarantee the salary for you and the reason I always start there is because I'm super pragmatic to the person I'm talking to because I grew up in poverty I didn't grow up with a lot of money so for most people I think the solution is the education system but specifically I don't mean college I don't mean university somebody could be listening to this podcast podcast cliff and say i have a passion for cupcakes but i'm really good with my hands and i love plumbing so for that person i would say be a plumber first because you can easily make 120 grand a year doing that 100 grand 80 grand whatever and then as you're saving money up and you're living in your mom's basement like i did what money does is it frees your mind to think and when your mind is free to think in a way I couldn't five years ago because I was just worried about making a little bit of money, when I get to that place, then I could find my niche later. So that's what I would say. Mm. That's, that is a very insightful response, and I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, tell me, what secret would, do you have to getting started and staying committed? For sure. I would say getting started is very simple. It's a dark question. The question is simply this. Who suffers from your inability to take action every day? Mm. I don't think a fruit juice, I don't think a green smoothie is going to help you get started. I think it's really understanding who suffers, who's in pain when you keep being lazy all the time. So for me, what got me to take action? I had every excuse in the book, Cliff, not to start master. I was the youngest coach in the industry at the time. I didn't have a PhD in communication. Heck, I didn't even have a bachelor's. I have a, I have a degree in accounting. It literally makes no sense. And I have a broken left arm. And I have no money. And I have no expertise presenting on camera. What business do I have starting the business I did? So why did I do it? And the million-dollar answer to the million-dollar question is... I did it for the 15-year-old girl who can't afford a coach. Who does that girl have? Who does she have? Some 60-year-old man who has seven PhDs? Is she going to relate to that guy? No. So even if I wasn't perfect, even if I didn't have all the answers, I said, nobody's showing up for that girl. So I might as well try. I might as well figure it out. And that's what pushed me to take action and develop the maturity of someone who's already passed away. My average client today is 20 years older than me, Cliff. So instead of saying, I can't do this, I can't do that, how about I show up with that level of maturity because I need that money so that I can serve the 15-year-old girl. And that's what it means to have a deeper why. And Taki Moore says it so well. Every why generally has a who behind it you just got to dig deep into who that person is and that's what lights a fire to actually get the job done Mm. what has been your greatest struggle after you found your niche my biggest struggle that's a very good question after finding my niche has been not getting distracted by the shiny object opportunities that are presented around me. So what happens, and Alex Hormozzi actually says this much better than I do, which is the following. As you become more successful, the golden opportunities around you get much better. So it's, hey, Brendan, you want to talk on time management? I'll pay you this amount of money. Hey, I think you should do this. This is a really good partnership. So the opportunities you start to get start to increase. And it's your job to ignore them. It's your job to stay the course. It's your job to stay in that niche as long as possible. 
And the only way to pragmatically do this is to ask yourself, what would a wiser Brendan think of my decisions today? So one thing I talked about when I was 23, 22, and I started MasterDoc, how did I stay consistent all these years? Because I've just been focused on this niche for seven years. And it probably even surprised you. Wait, this guy's been in communication coach since 19, and he hasn't changed his mind. Why is that? The reason, Cliff, is I always talk to 36-year-old Brendan. So I'm 26 currently, but I always talk to 36-year-old Brendan, who's very successful, has all the money in the world, is one of the top, is the top communication coach in the world. And I always ask him what he thinks. So whenever I get a new opportunity, I get a new deal, I get a new thing, I always ask Brendan what he thinks. And Brendan always says, that's a cool opportunity, but not for somebody like you. Because if you don't stay the course, you'll never be number one in this industry. And that's the way I've been able to stay. Hmm. What level of intensity should you have or should someone have when it comes down to pursuing their niche? I mean, that's all up into, you know, there's a great saying in the arts world, Cliff, which is the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Everyone has different priorities in their life, Cliff. But here's what I will say. The person who is the most focused often gets the best results. So for me, and this is not me bragging, this is not me gloating, this is just me stating in the sense that I knew because I had such a head start over anyone else who could possibly live in my era, putting all of my attention, all of my focus on this niche will make me the greatest communication coach of all time. Because there isn't anybody who started coaching people on comms at 19 has been consistent for seven years like I have. Like, it just doesn't exist. The only way I don't win is if I stop. But there's a massive exception to that rule. And the massive exception is simply this clip. Not everybody wants to be the greatest of all time. Not everybody wants to be the best in the world. And that's there's only one Tom Brady. There's one crazy Kobe Bryant, one crazy Michael Jordan, one crazy LeBron James. So I don't want to project that onto anybody. But I think what I will say is be cognizant of what your end game is from the beginning. Because if your end game is, you know, Brendan, I want to make 200 grand a year. And if I'm making that, I'm happy. Then you don't need to do what crazy Brendan is doing. Just figure out what are the steps that reverse engineers that outcome. But self-awareness is really the answer at the end of the day. Hmm. So John Wooden has a quote. He says, uh, you're not a failure until you start blaming others for your mistake. What have you found yourself coming to a realization that would have maybe had you go down a path of blaming someone else? But because you're wiser now, what would you tell your younger self to deviate them from going down that path of blaming someone else for something they couldn't accomplish? For sure. I'm thankful, Cliff. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. This is not one I've made a lot. And the reason is because my dad kicked that ego out of me a long time ago. <laughs> and, and my coaches, too, when I, was, when I was younger and I started doing these case competitions. And the reason is because blaming other people will never make us more successful. It just won't. Sure, we could look at other people, but is that advancing our goals, our objectives, our ideas, and what we want to achieve? Definitely not. So for me, the, the perspective has always been, what is objectively going to move my goals forward? And I just focus on that. You even asked me at the beginning of today's podcast, how are you feeling? Today? I was like, amazing. Life is great. Because even if it wasn't great, I'm still going to make an effort to make it yeah. great. My day was great today, yeah. but I'm going to make that effort because the opposite doesn't help us. There's a great quote on this, actually, that I'd love to share. 
pessimists get to be right, optimists get to be rich. Mm. That's the difference. Well, yeah, you can be a pessimist. You can be right 99 times out of 100, but the one time the optimist is right, they'll be super successful. And I don't mean rich in the context of money. I mean rich in the context of health, relationships, that same thing. Oh, I can never get the girl of my dreams to ask me out on a date. I can never get that girl. The The pessimist is going to be right 99 mm-hmm. times out of 100. That girl that you think you don't get, you probably won't be able to get her. But there's going to be one girl that you act that actually loves you, that would marry you, give you the best life of, of your dreams, but you're not going to go after. But the optimist that I am is going to talk to 200 of them, 300 of them, 400 of them, 500 of them until I find that right person, as an example, as an analogy. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I love that. And, you know, I, I want to get from you very last question, which is... How do you know when it's time to stay focused on your goal versus just stopping it completely? I'm glad you asked me that question because that was the piece of, of, of the niche thought leadership I wanted to give. So I'm glad you asked it. Here's what I would say. I think comparison is a great thing, which is very counterintuitive. Nobody says that. But let me be very specific about what I mean here because everyone says comparison of the thief of joy. I don't like that quote. I'll tell you why. What are we comparing and for what? I believe comparison is a tool if we know how to use it properly. So if we're comparing the person's cars, the houses they have, then it's not healthy comparison. But if we're comparing the actions, what it took to be successful to be that person, ah, now we're getting clues that are actually going to inform us on whether or not we should even pursue the goal in the first place. Another way of explaining what I'm trying to say, Cliff, and then I'll list an example here to help us showcase this. A lot of people want to get into the theater, but they don't bother asking themselves what the price of admission is. They just go, oh yeah, there's a new movie, and they just buy the ticket, they go inside. But they don't actually spend enough time going, is this worth my time? Should I spend three hours in this theater? Should I be doing something else? How much does this price cost? How much is my gas going to cost? They don't actually think about the price of admission. So how does this now apply to how I found my niche? There are three things I wanted to coach on in my life. Career, life, and communication coaching. So why did I ultimately pick communication, Cliff? The reason is because I compared myself to everyone in the industry. I started researching a bunch of life coaches, career coaches, and communication coaches. And I realized that the delta, the gap between me and the next life coach was big, but it wasn't massive. It was good. I could probably be a top 5% life coach. Then I went to career. You know, I could probably do really well, but I can't have a much of a career for executive coaching. Can't coach a lot of executive. I've never been one, so it's not going to help. But communication coaching, brother, <laughs> the delta was like a thousand x, like a thousand x. That's why my average client is twenty years older than me. Why would they trust me? Because I'm just so much better than everyone else that I win. But I'm not saying this to brag. There is a delta in your life. You just haven't thought to think about it. You haven't thought to dig for it, to find it. And the only way you do that is by asking yourself hard questions about life and opening your mind to those opportunities. You find the thousand X Delta. Mm. You know what? If, if this was a text messaging communication between you and I, you would definitely get the mind blow emoji right now. <laughs> the mind blown. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. How would somebody get in contact with you if they, if they wanted to, to circle back with you on what you have to offer? 
Absolutely, Cliff. This is a great episode. Thanks for having me on. So two ways to keep in touch. The first one is the YouTube channel, Master Talk. Just go on YouTube and you'll find me there. And the second way to keep in touch is a free workshop I do on communication. I do a live interactive one every two weeks that's fun, that's interactive and super cool. And if you want to jump in on that training, go to rockstarcommunicator.com. Excellent. And for our niche finder community, if you want to get in contact with us, you know you can always go to dreamoctane.org. And there you'll find how to not only discover your niche, but also develop and deliver it. And you know, that will just help you to fulfill the mantra that we have for all our episodes and even for you today. And that is, if innovative change is an engine, we believe that your unique dream and ability could be its fuel. We want to thank Brandon for being part of our program today. And we look forward to having our next guest that can help you on your journey towards success. Thanks again.